morning. Good to see you all this morning. You know, when I was in college, I uh, actually tried out for the basketball team because I played basketball in high school and I thought I was pretty good, but I actually didn't make the team. I got cut twice. But, you know, luckily the soccer team, which was not as desirable of an option, but they really needed warm bodies, so they went ahead and welcomed me onto the soccer team and I began playing. Well, there was a guy on the soccer team named Ben Parks, and he went to a pretty big high school in Atlanta. He was a pretty popular guy. The guys knew him real well. And uh, one time, we were walking in our dorm room in the upper level. I was coming toward him, and he was coming from the other direction. And for whatever reason, I didn't have a shirt on. And he just looked right at me, and this is just Ben. He said, David, you're the most unripped person that I've ever met. And you know, that really hurt me. I felt so upset that he said that about me. But you know what it did? It made me mad. And I started working out. You know, I went into the weight room two, three times a week for several months, and it got to where I was pretty bulky. You know, I played fullback on the soccer team, and it got to where when people ran into me, you know, I didn't fall down. They fell down. But the cap on that was that one day Ben noticed and said something to me about, wow, Dave, you're really bulking up. So the important thing about that is is that it made me upset enough to where I was willing to do something. It motivated me to change something about myself. Now, we have all encountered something that we wanted very badly to be different. What were you willing to do to bring about the change that you desired to see? Were you willing to start something? Were you willing to stop something? Were you willing to buy something? Were you willing to sell something? Were you willing to pray? Were you willing to act? Were you willing to persist? Last week, we discussed how Nehemiah's heart was broken by the desperate condition of his people in Jerusalem. But because he believed that God cared and was able and willing to help, he was prepared to move beyond prayer to participation and ask God for favor as Nehemiah took action himself. Today we're going to see how God used Nehemiah to begin to drive the change that Nehemiah himself desired to see. Turn to Nehemiah chapter 2. We're going to read through verses 1 through 10 one time, and then we're going to come back and go verse by verse. Chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. In the month of Nisan, in the twentieth year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was brought before him, I took the wine and gave it to the king. I had not been sad in his presence before. So the king asked me, Why does your face look sad when you are not ill? This can be nothing but sadness of heart. I was very much afraid, but I said to the king, May the king live forever. Why should my face not look sad when the city where my fathers are buried lies in ruins? and its gates had been destroyed by fire. The king said to me, What is it you want? Then I prayed to the God of heaven, and I answered the king. If it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in his sight, let him send me to the city in Judah where my fathers are buried, so that I can rebuild it. Then the king, with the queen sitting beside him, asked me, How long will your journey take? And when will you get back? It pleased the king to send me, so I set a time. I also said to him, if it pleases the king, may I have letters to the governors of Trans-Euphrates so that they will provide me safe conduct until I arrive in Judah. And may I have a letter to Asaph, keeper of the king's forest, so he will give me timber to make beams for the gates of the citadel, by the temple, and for the city wall, and for the residence I will occupy. And because the gracious hand of my God was upon me, the king granted my requests. So I went to the governors of Trans-Euphrates and gave them the king's letters. The king had also sent army officers and cavalry with me. When Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite official heard about this, they were very much disturbed that someone had come to promote the welfare of the Israelites. 
Now going back to me, going back with me to verse 1, we see Nehemiah enters the presence of the king. This was a normal thing. This was his job. He was the cupbearer. He was daily in the presence of the king. But him expressing emotion, him expressing himself in front of the king was entirely inappropriate. This was his boss. This was his superior. How safe would you feel letting your guard down in front of your boss? You know, when we're interacting with our superiors, what drives us? Number one, it's ambition. You know, we want to be somewhere other than where we are in the future. Or it's possibly self-preservation. But this is an intentional choice by Nehemiah. I had not been sad in his presence before. I suspect this was an intentional choice on the part of Nehemiah. Maybe he's taking a small step to test the waters because God has clearly moved his heart by the plight of his people. He's ready to take steps, and so he takes this small step to test the waters. And then verse 2, we see the king responds. Why does your face look so sad when you are not ill? This can be nothing but sadness of heart. So the king, you know, he's, he's got a lot of experience meeting with people. And he notices that something's not right. But you know what? It's so unusual that not only has Nehemiah expressed emotion, but that the king actually notices this and he inquires regarding Nehemiah's emotional state. Now, we have no way of knowing the tone of this question. Was it gentle? Nehemiah, my friend. Was it stern? Hey, Nehemiah, what's going on? Or was it just indifferent? Hey, obviously something's not right. What's up, man? But regardless, Nehemiah's behavior has called attention to himself in the king's presence. And he is appropriately terrified because the king's displeasure could very well amount to a death sentence. And then we look at verse 3. I was very much afraid, but I said to the king, may the king live forever. Why should my face not look sad when the city where my fathers are buried lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? So he immediately shows deference and respect for the king, but he does not shy away from sharing what is on his heart, no matter the cost. Now, what usually motivates us to take a risk? It's when the, when the outcome benefits us. So a sure sign that someone is called by God is when they are willing to take risks for the benefit of others. So clearly there was a calling on Nehemiah's life. Verse 4, then the king said to me, what is it you want? What is it you want? And then I prayed to the God of heaven. So surprisingly, the king offers to help. Now, he himself does not necessarily have this particular burden, but he is in a position to assist the person who does. Now, often God uses people with position and influence to assist his servants in doing his will. So this is an important question for Nehemiah. What is it that you want? What is it that you actually want? want to be different? And this is a question Nehemiah would not have been ready to answer had he not taken time to prayerfully think about what he actually wanted to be different. And what he wanted was the city to be rebuilt. And then it says he prayed to God. And as we see clearly, Nehemiah is not praying to God for direction. He's asking God for favor. Because the next verse reveals that he already had prayerfully begun to develop a plan. So let's look at verse 5. And I answered the king, if it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in his sight, let him send me to the city in Judah where my fathers are buried so that I can rebuild it. So he's begun to develop a plan. He requests that he be sent back to his hometown to rebuild it. He knew what he wanted to be different, and he was willing to drive the project. He was willing to put his own hands on the wheel and drive 
the project. Verse 6, another surprise. The king with the queen beside him asked me, how long will your journey take? And when will you get back? And so what Nehemiah understands is it pleased the king to send me. And so I set a time. Now it's interesting that Nehemiah does not request more time to think or pray about this. He's already done that. He doesn't say, King, give me, give me a couple of weeks, give me a month, let me go think about this, let me think about what I want to be different, let me think about the role that, that I believe I need to play in it. He's already done that. So he doesn't ask for more time, he sets a time frame. He has decided what he wants to be different. He has prayerfully thought out a plan of action, not a complete plan, but enough of a plan to be able to give a time frame, and he has asked God for favor as he takes steps towards seeing this vision become a reality. And then verses 7 and 8, he switches gears. I also said to him, if it pleases the king, may I have letters to the governors of trans-Euphrates so that they will provide me safe conduct until I arrive in Judah. And may I have a letter to Asaph, keeper of the king's force, so he will give me timber to make beams for the gates of the citadel by the temple and for the city wall and for the residence I will occupy. So, now, now that Nehemiah has had a favorable response from the king, he doesn't just say, oh king, thank you so much, let me just shrink away before you change your mind. No, when Nehemiah says, the gracious hand of my God was upon me, he had recognized that. Nehemiah gets bold. He sees God's obvious favor and he asks for official protection and building materials. And you know what? Because the gracious hand of God was upon him, he got it. Nehemiah was clearly ready for this important work because, number one, God had moved his heart. He'd broken his heart. He'd moved his heart to go beyond prayer to participation. He had engaged his mind. He thought about what he wanted to be different and what role he might play. And now Nehemiah was ready to offer his hands. He was willing to drive change on behalf of God. So some lessons for us this morning. Number one is that God is looking for people who will drive change. As we discussed last week, God needs people who will go beyond thinking, go beyond feeling, go beyond believing. He needs people who will tackle complex issues while depending on God's favor. Look at what Nehemiah did. He runs right towards the mess. And he's afraid, but he still takes steps. He puts everything on the line, and then he sees God's favor, and he knows that he's going to need it. Years ago, I was having breakfast with a gentleman from our church, and we were talking about investing, funny thing. He talked about how traditionally people like to invite other people to invest their money for them, but he prefers to drive his own car. And that struck me, because at that point in my life, I was afraid of taking responsibility for my own life. And it was at that, that morning I realized that I needed to be willing to take the wheel in my own life. And that's what God is looking for. He's looking for people, that not, not someone that has a complete plan and all the answers, not someone who's arrogant, but someone who's willing to put both hands on the wheel and see where God might take them. So God is looking for people who will drive change. Number two is that he may have already positioned you for impact. He may have already positioned you for impact. Maybe you're a Nehemiah, someone with a burden. God's put something on your heart, but you know that you can't do it by yourself, that you need his favor, and that you need assistance. So maybe God's positioned you like that as a Nehemiah with a burden who needs favor 
in assistance. Maybe you're this morning like the king. God's put you in a position to assist someone who has a burden. Maybe he's given you resources. Maybe he's given you position. Maybe he's given you some sort of ability to be of assistance to somebody who has a burden. And then the third lesson this morning, and it's encouraging. You don't have to be someone else. You don't have to be someone else. Just be who God created you to be. When we begin to feel God moving us to act, we immediately begin to object, right? God, if you want me to make a difference, you've put me in the wrong place for impact. But you don't have to be someone else. Just like Nehemiah learned, God had placed Nehemiah in the king's court. He had given him position and authority, and now God was going to leverage that to make a big difference. Nehemiah didn't have to be anybody else. So if you're afraid that God's going to ask you to be somebody that you're not, to be bold, to be outspoken, to be outgoing when you're not that way, don't worry. God just wants you to be who he created you to be. This made me think of my friend Cindy Little. You know, she started out as a bookkeeper at Fish many, many moons ago. And she is now one of the most respected leaders in Walton County. One of her most endearing qualities is that she's completely comfortable in her own skin. And she's not afraid to ask for help. And she would be the first person to tell you that she is not qualified to do her job. But there is no doubt that she is called. Just spend five minutes with her and you know that God has a calling on her life to make a big difference in this community. And she is passionate about the work that God has given her to do. So you don't have to be someone else. Just be who God created you to be. So how do we prepare for God to make his move? How do we prepare for God to make his move through us? Number one, we decide. You need to decide what you want to be different. Decide what you want to be different. When God moves your heart, I've had many tender moments with my children. When they're hurting, when they're struggling. Maybe it's a big deal, maybe it's just a boo-boo. But I say as a comfort... And a promise that daddy is going to make it better. Daddy's going to make it better. I don't know how. I may not be able to fix it completely. You know, many times they've even hurt themselves. But I will do everything I can to make it better. So are you resolved with that thing that God's laid on your heart? That thing that he's brought to your attention? That need? That that challenge? Have you decided what you want to be different? Be specific. And are you resolved to make it better? Whatever you can do to make it better. Number two, create a plan of action. Again, it doesn't have to be a complete plan. But you need to decide, am I going to be the king? Am I going to assist somebody? Am I going to assist something? There are organizations all over Walton County that are meeting needs. I mean, just think about it with me. You've got FISH, you've got Team Up Mentoring, you've got Boys and Girls Club, you've got Pregnancy Resource Center, you've got Uniting Hope for Children, organizations that are passionate about meeting needs and filling gaps in our community. Maybe God's calling you to assist with your time, with your energy, with your financial resources. God's calling you to assist. Or maybe you're one of those people that God's put something on your heart, a need, a burden, for something that's not happening, for a need that's going unaddressed, unmet, and God's calling you to put your hands on the wheel and drive. Put your hands on the wheel and drive. Step three is to pray for favor as you take steps toward this vision becoming a reality. 
Now, you need to be open to redirection. I think if Nehemiah had not seen God's favor, he might have thought or rethought about what to do. I mean, obviously the need would be the same, but his plan might be different. But he saw God's favor. And then so fourthly, after you pray for favor and take steps, when you see God's favor, when God shows his favor, be bold. Be bold. Be daring. Just like Nehemiah was. He was bold. He asked for protection. He asked for resources. And he got them. Because the gracious hand of his Lord, his God, was upon him. You know what happens when we experience God's favor? When we take that step to meet a knee, when we go beyond ourselves, and we put it on the line, and we see God's favor, we begin to realize that even though our hands are on the wheel, God is actually doing the driving. God is doing the driving. How encouraging is that? Even though it's our hands on the wheel, we've put something at risk. We realize that God's the one driving and that we're just along for the ride. I want to close with another story about George Mueller. One morning, the kids were all there at the orphanage, 300 of them, and there was nothing to eat. So his house mother says, the children are dressed and ready for school, but there's no food for them to eat. George asked her to take the 300 children into the dining room and have them sit at the tables. He thanked God for the food and waited. George knew God would provide the food for the children as he always did. Within minutes, a baker knocked on the door. Mr. Mueller, he said, last night I could not sleep. Somehow I knew that you would need bread this morning. I got up and baked three batches for you. I will bring it in. Soon there was another knock at the door. It was the milkman. His cart had broken down in front of the orphanage. The milk would spoil by the time the wheel was fixed. He asked George if he could use some free milk. George smiled as the milkman brought in ten large cans of milk. It was just enough for the 300 thirsty children. Now God had given George and Mary a vision. What he believed God wanted to be different. To care for orphans. And he would regularly provide the kind of assistance just described to make this vision a reality. Now what if we were willing to allow our hearts to be broken as God's heart is broken? What if we were willing to dream big dreams with God about change? You know, I just want to make it better. I can't fix it all. I can't change it all. But I can give what I've got to give and I want to just make it a little bit better. What if we were willing to go beyond dreaming to considering our role in making it better? Is it a role of assistance? Is it a role of driving change? And as we take steps and experience God's favor, we become bold and daring as we partner with our Heavenly Father to drive change. This morning, I would encourage you, don't miss out. Don't miss out on playing your part. And also, I would say, having had opportunities to get into your homes and get to know you, to know your stories, to know your struggles, to know your opportunities, I believe in you as your pastor. I believe that God has done great things in your life and he's prepared you through your experiences to make a big difference in this world. I believe in you. And your heavenly Father believes in you. We think about us believing in God, but God believes in us. We are His plan. The church is His plan. So how is God moving you 
this morning? How has God affected your heart this morning? What needs has He made you aware of? Are you ready to decide what you want to be different? Are you ready to create a plan of action? Are you ready to pray for favor as you take steps? And are you ready when God shows favor to be bold? Pray with me. God, thank you for this morning. We love you so much and we're so thankful for your blessings. But God, we want to also be givers. We want to be people who serve. We want to be people who see needs. We want to be people who take steps. We want to make a difference with our lives, God. But so often we feel like Nehemiah. We see all the needs. We see all the struggles and we just feel overwhelmed. We have broken hearts, but then we have weak knees and we're not willing to take steps. So God, would you just encourage us Give us courage. Give us passion to actually take action, to move beyond prayer to participation, and to see you make a difference with our hands on the wheel, but us realizing that it's you driving the change. We love you, Lord. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.